So uh, yesterday, the internet was uh, out of commission, apparently, at least in the morning hours. I was, uh, I was trying to do a little bit of work, and it just seemed slow. Uh, that was prior to our time, tired, prior to the broadcast. The next thing I know, poof, it was gone, and uh, I rebooted and reset and... <clears throat> Did that two or three times, restarted the computer, everything. And uh, it just was not going to fire yesterday. So I missed being with you all yesterday. I will tell you that. I, I really, really did uh, miss being able to spend uh, spend some time with you. But it is what it is. It was what it was. And it was nothing I could do about it. But here we are today. And uh, we're in Acts chapter 26. Uh, partway through the chapter, actually, we're going to try to hit chapter 26, 27 today, and then tomorrow, Lord willing, we will hit chapter 28 and chapter 29. And uh, now, some of you, if you're on top of it, you will you need to 
question me about what I just said to you. But uh, let's get into it today. Glad to have all of you with us that are with us. Reminder, tomorrow will be the final broadcast until the 7th of August. Uh, I will be on the road for those three weeks. And uh, rather than us trying to uh, conjecture will there or will there not be a broadcast, we're just going to say there's not going to be. And it's just going to be easier that way. Going to give my soul a little bit of a respite uh, before we get into a very, very, very busy fall. So anyway, Acts chapter 26, here we are, we're at verse 12. Uh, Paul is in front of Herod. He is giving his, uh, his testimony here. And he says this, on one of these journeys, I was going, now these journeys, the journeys where he was out chasing down, hunting down, if you will, the Christians, he says, in one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road, and I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, the goads are like prickly things. Uh, then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, get up and stand on your feet. I have, I have, appeared, I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. Now, just working down through, I mean, we need to be prepared to share our testimony as well. Uh, we talked about this on our last broadcast, and I just bring it up again today. Are you prepared? Am I prepared that when we have an opportunity to, to give testimony about our own life? Now, there are people in our day who will say, well, I don't believe the Bible anyway. Well, can I tell you my story? I mean, that's the one thing that they cannot uh, reject. I mean, we live, we live in a day when truth is everybody's truth in this sense. Every truth can be unique truth. Now, I don't believe that to be factual, but I do believe that to be the, the, the experience and the attitude and the approach in our current day. Whatever I say is truth. Uh, whatever, um, whatever I think is truth. My opinion is truth, regardless of whether that is rooted in facts. In fact, some people don't even believe in facts in these days. I mean, we, especially in America, now, I don't know how it is over there with our friends in India, but here in America, we, we are crazy people. Uh, I'm just going to say it. We are. We're, we're out of our minds here. Now, I'm not, I don't mean every individual person, but 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 kind of the, the direction and, and the ethos of American culture, popular American culture, at least half of the culture is is out of its mind. And so truth is whatever they want to make it to be. There is no such thing as truth. As Pilate said at one point, what is truth? Um, 
We need to give testimony. People will say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe in the facts. I don't believe in history. Okay, then let me tell you what Jesus did for me. That is the one thing that people cannot dispute is your own personal experience. In our day, when when, when people are uh, trying to align their own personal pronouns according to whatever they feel that day, uh, that's the one thing. You can't take away from me how I feel. You can't take away from me what I think about myself. Well, okay, if that is true for them, that is also true for us in sharing our testimony. While they may not want to hear the Bible, and folks, you can share the Bible without saying chapter and verse. They don't need to know necessarily that you're sharing the Bible. It doesn't sh- It doesn't change the reality of whether what you are including in the conversation, what you're including in the dialogue is a scripture passage or not. It's still scripture, whether you say Acts, 6, uh, Acts 26, 12 or not. Uh, it is still scripture. So share your testimony. Be prepared to share with people. Now, I, I believe in, in, in providing historical facts and evidence and and things of that nature. There are still people in our culture who need to hear things like that. But for those who reject facts and who reject history and who want to reject and rewrite history, uh, we, we have our own testimony that we can share. And that is exactly what Paul gives to them here in Acts chapter 26. Talks about his encounter with Jesus. Jesus calling out, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you? And he clarified, verified, testified, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. And Jesus said, now get up on your feet. I've I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and, and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I mean, you were appointed. He was appointed to be a special witness, and all of us can be a witness, And but Paul was appointed as a special witness. And he says in verse 17, I'll rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now, it's interesting. In verse 18, I think this must be some of the thinking Paul was having, perhaps as he's writing to the church at Colossae, because verse 18 sounds very familiar to what we read in Colossians chapter 1, and I'll put that up there for you, down at verse 14, where it says this, uh, verse 13 and 14, he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Just very, very similar, uh, Acts 26, what was it, verse 18, and Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Very similar language there. Uh, It just makes me wonder if this is about the time Paul was writing to the Colossians. Yes, verse 18. There it is. So he gives his testimony, and he says, So, King Agrippa, uh, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, where he was heading, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and and, uh, prove their repentance by their deeds. Now, something very interesting here in verse 20 that that I, I want just to highlight real quickly. I mean, first there is repent, turn from self, turn to God. Uh, 
And that's what it says, repent, turn to God. And then it says, prove their repentance by their deeds. Folks, our uh, our repentance, the, the genuineness of our faith needs to be evident in, in how we live our lives. If there is not some evidence, if there is not some evidence by our deeds, if there is not some evidence by our language, if there is not some evidence in our interest, if there's not some evidence in our our pursuits, if there's not some evidence in our values, if there's not some evidence in the way we live our lives, then we just might not be saved. I believe there needs to be evidence of our salvation. Now, we're not working, we're not doing deeds to gain salvation, but as Paul highlights here in Acts chapter 26, verse 20, our deeds should show the reality of our repentance, should show the reality of our faith. Now, I need to keep moving here if we're going to cover these two chapters today. It says, that is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me because of the message he preached. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen and he would go back and use the prophets uh, and Moses, the, the Torah, again and again and again. Uh, they didn't have the New Testament, friends. They only had the Old Testament. And Paul used the Old Testament as a master uh, teacher, as a master, if you want to say, pharisaical lawyer who understood Christ in the Old Testament. He used the Old Testament to, to paint the picture of the gospel. Verse, 26, uh, verse 23, what would happen? He said that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And this is where uh, the people get an uproar. It's okay. He, he presents it to the Jews, but not the Gentiles also. Verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. Now, Festus realized that Paul was a learned man. Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner Notice how he appeals to the king. He treats Festus with respect, but then he appeals to the king, says, I know that King King Agrippa knows about these things, and then he appeals directly to him in verse 27. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, and this is an excellent response. In short time or long, I pray that God not that I pray God that not only you but all who are listening to me today be, may become what I am, except for the chains that I am in. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, "This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment." So Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. It's interesting. I mean, Agrippa would have said, let him go. But Paul had 
the desire to take the gospel all the way to Rome. And so in appealing to Caesar, he has the opportunity. But and Agrippa apparently cannot, I mean, apparently could not have gone to Paul and said, look, I'm willing to let you go. Um, because Paul had appealed to Caesar, apparently they had to follow through and take him all the way to Caesar. Now we get into chapter 26. And we're going to get into some tumultuous weather here. And I said 26, chapter 27, sorry. And um, let's see what we find in this chapter. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from uh, Andramidium, uh, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Juden, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. I mean, Julius trusted that Paul was not going to just run away. He let him go free so he could see his friends, and that's what Paul did. From there, we sent in. Uh, from there, we set out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. In other words, the inside. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, this would be modern-day Turkey, we landed at Mira in Lycia. Uh, there, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Again, Alexandria. You think Egypt, you think northern uh, Africa. He says, we made slow and steady headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sidness. Um, when the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the Lee of Crete opposite of Salmon. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, not to be confused with the camp here in Maine. Uh, near the town of Lacia. Uh, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo into our own lives as well. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on hoping to reach Phoenix in the winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both southwest and northwest. Now, Paul is not necessarily being prophetic. Uh, some would say, yes, he is. Paul is just looking at the circumstances. We need to be able to look at our circumstances and to look at the situation and, and to look ahead in fact, the book of Proverbs says, A prudent man foresees the danger and takes refuge, but the foolish man keeps on and suffers harm. Now, that's a verse in Proverbs. The foolish man foresees, I mean, the, the, the wise man foresees the danger and takes cover. Uh, someone will have to look up that exact verse to tell you exactly where it is. Uh, or the prudent man foresees. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul was just being prudent. He was saying, look, we've already had this much trouble. We know what it is like uh, in uh, 
this time of year, and we are probably going to have problems. We're probably going to lose cargo because he knew that one of the practices would be to throw cargo overboard if if the seas got too rough, so that you know uh, the ship would not be submerged. Paul just knew these things. Now, whether it was prophetic that was Paul was speaking this way, I do not know. But I can certainly say that Paul was but just being circumspect. Let me talk for just a moment about being circumspect. We need to be able to look around at all the factors. I work with people who all they see is their area. All they see is their lane. All they see is their goal. All they see is... Uh, what they want to accomplish, and they don't look at all the various factors, facets, ramifications, circumstances, players, problems, and all the variety of things that that surround a decision. They press on with a decision without thinking about the domino effect that that lone decision might have on several other things. If you want to be a wise leader, you need to look at things circumspectly. You need to look around you need to foresee the danger. You need to be able to look and say, okay, if uh, this action is going to cause that reaction. Uh, it's like some things that uh, that we're working on uh, at the college level. Um, there are things that, that we're beginning to work toward, and uh, I, I know there are ramifications for decisions, and I'm already thinking about that. I do the same in ministry. You know, if if we do this, you need to think, how's this person going to respond? How's it going to impact that? We have to look at all those things. Too many people are not circumspect. And if you want to be wise in your own life, if you want to be wise as a leader, you need to, the, the idea of circumspect is to look around 360 and to, to consider all the different ramifications all the way around you. Have your eyes open. And that's what Paul was doing. He simply had his eyes open. Uh, and so... And he's telling him, look, we, we just we need to stop now while we're ahead. But they don't listen. They press on. Uh, and it said in verse 12, the majority decided we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. But what happens? It says, when a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a northeaster swept down on the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hosted it aboard, they, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together Fearing they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And after the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. In other words, what's Paul saying? He's saying, told you so. Then you would have spared yourselves from this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, this perhaps is a vision. In fact, he will say in verse 23, Last night an angel of God who... 
uh, of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand uh, trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So the Lord has already given Paul this word. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we'd be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down in the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the boat. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay on the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He said, For the last 14 days you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. I urge you. Take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God. Like communion, friends, he gave thanks to God in front of them, and then then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food from themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. That is a rather large boat in that day. When they'd eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea, all this that is lost. Shipwreck happens. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders and they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the turn was bro- uh, the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or pieces of the ship, And in this way, everyone reached land safely. Now, this would be just like watching a uh, a movie. You know, seeing what's happening, seeing what's unfolding, seeing what's transpiring. Uh, Paul told them, uh, the centurion is is now taking stock in Paul, believing Paul. The centurion spares the lives of of all the prisoners uh, and everyone. 276 of them reach the land in safety. Now, we'll pick up there tomorrow and see what happens. I mean, sometimes, friends, we go through a storm. And Jesus is saying to you, cling to me. Notice how many days their storm lasted. I think it was 14 days we just read of like hurricane force storm bearing down on them. And to survive 14 days is utterly amazing. As you're going through a storm, keep your trust in God. Keep your faith in Christ. Be circumspect. Keep looking up. 
keep on believing in the Father. Keep on trusting in Jesus in the storms through which you might go. We think of our friends over in India and Santhus and his uh, the orphan children, what they need. Lord, we do pray for them. The storm that they've been going through, the ongoing difficulties and challenges and struggles in that part of the world, Lord, would you provide for their needs? Would you care for them? Would you show yourself faithful as they place their trust in Christ? Lord, that is our prayer for them. And Lord, for any of our brethren or sistren today, listening with whatever storm they might be going through, Lord, it is my prayer that they would cling to you, that their faith would be steadfast, that their hope would be certain, that they would keep their eyes on you. Lord, hear our prayer and deliver your children in need of deliverance. Strengthen those who need strength. Help those who need help. Encourage those who need encouragement. Lord, hear our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, that's a wrap for today. We will finish the book of Acts tomorrow. We will see you then. Have a good day.